0: Disclaimer The host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundations for positive mental health. This is the Above Ground Podcast.
1: Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Fully and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. Tonight is a very special episode Uh, today, whenever you're listening to this, whenever it hits your RSS feed or your iTunes or your Spotify feed, whatever it is you're checking it out on. Tonight's conversation is a very special one. But first, I wanted to say gratefully and humbly thank you to everyone who joined us this past Saturday, November 21st, for International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. AFSP, uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, every year the Saturday before Thanksgiving hosts an event in honor of survivors of suicide. And I was very fortunate enough to have a great group of people who were willing to share their stories with me And the one thing that we all have in common No matter how far we off are in in the way we think about the world right now is that we all have pain And if that is where we have to find common ground, well, I think that's a pretty good place to start So this episode is to continue on in that tradition of survivors Uh, Tonight's conversation is very, very important and very real. Debbie and Rich lost their son, John, and they are here to talk about it and they are here to share their story of loss and grief and what they're doing for Johnny, and doing it for Johnny is uh, very special. If uh, you are listening to this and you are feeling down, and suicide talk is a trigger, please feel free to skip this episode until you can handle it. Or if you need someone, call 1-800-273-8255. That's the suicide helpline. Or go to your nearest emergency room if you're in immediate danger. And if you know someone who's in danger, um, call. Call out. Uh, Stay with that person. yeah, because we don't want to lose another one. But tonight's conversation is very special, and I, I want to say thank you so much. It's uh, Thanksgiving tomorrow, and we have so much to be thankful for, regardless of what is really going on in the world right now. So let's look at it that way. Let's look at it from from the perspective of being thankful. So without further ado, uh, do it for Johnny. <laughs>
2: What is up everyone? Welcome to another Above Ground conversation. I am Will Foley and I am here with my host co-host and cohort and my struggle buddy TPP <laughs> TPP. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, that's right. How are we doing this week, Timmy?
3: Uh we're doing all right. Um some bumps in the road, some hurdles. I'm going to say uh I'm going to say I'm like a 5.2 on the lumen scale. On the one to ten to scale, okay. <laughs> How
2: many lumens you shining?
3: Um, eh, you know, maybe uh, I don't know, man. Thirty. Wow, really? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know the scale on lumens. I'm, I
2: only go up to eleven. <laughs> I only go up to eleven, man. <laughs> Oh, okay. Can't well, go past then, eleven. <laughs> all
3: right.
2: I'll, I'll I'll stick with four. All right. <laughs> that that sounds. I was gonna say on that on that five
3: scale. I was like. Yeah, I was gonna say you had your, your <laughs> shining not quite as bright on that one. I'm thinking like you know, 60 watts, 100 watts, you know. So yeah, no, 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 we can't go that high, man. I can't. Yeah,
2: count, I know. I can't count past 11. That's as high as a Marshall goes. I think. That's, <laughs> uh, well, so we're go right ahead. We're man.
3: on. No, I was just gonna say we're on Zoom, so that means what? Another above, above ground, ground conversation. conversation.
2: That's right, and tonight's a serious one.
3: This not that serious they're not point. all,
2: su- not that they're not all. No, su- I I worried, know what you mean. This and, one's a little bit more serious.
3: Um, I do want to say before we start that um, we are there will be some some talks of of suicide on, on this episode, and and I'm pretty sure Will's with me on this. Is that our goal is not to um, you know, make people feel triggered or sad or any kind of our goal is We, we come from the heart with this and we feel that more conversations about this can help, um, decrease it. So just so you know, we're not trying to, um, you know, push anybody into talking about this or, um, you know, force any, any answers with questions that we may have. It's, it's, um, open conversation, you know, the way that, uh, Will and I do it.
2: That's right. We try to keep it as real and raw as possible without without bringing anybody down, but at least giving people the space to say what they need to say in a in a non in a non judgmental way, and also in an in an in an unedited way. Because there's there's no reason that you can't say anything that you that you don't want to say because there's no ratings here. There's nothing. So feel free to say and share whatever it is you're comfortable sharing.
3: Yeah, so without uh, further ado, we are, um, we are happy to talk to Debbie and Rich tonight, and uh, we are going to be um, talking about their son, Johnny. So without further ado, Debbie and Rich, welcome.
2: Yes, thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us.
3: Thank
4: you. Ab-
2: absolutely. Let me just first say, um, we're so sorry for your loss. And it doesn't matter how far the loss is out. Um, it never gets any easier. I'm sure. I mean, you may come to terms with it in 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 time better. However, I in my experience, um, you never ever get over a loss. You just learn how to deal with the emptiness.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's well said.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: So thank you very yep. much for being here. And please, please tell us, tell us about Johnny and tell us about your journey.
0: Well, if we started out with him as a little kid, he was just fun to be with. He had an older brother and older sister. He was always trying to keep up with the two of them and like to put on a show for the family. So he'd come into a room and try to put a smile on everyone's face. He had a supermodel walk where he would just thrill the crowd. Um, <laughs> he had a neck for He had a knack for drawing. Just as a little kid, he had these Lego bionicles. He could draw them in in very detail, great detail. Even younger than that, he started drawing dinosaurs. And along the way, he just fell in love with uh, the automobile. So he became an automobile artist. But just as a young kid, he uh, uh, liked to do lots of stuff, very active, great friends. Mm
4: -hmm. He was extremely handsome, <laughs> very conscientious about his looks, um, his style, he had style. Very um, focused, hardworking, but very loving at the same time. Um, and he was uh, had a heart for those who were struggling or suffering in any kind. Um, my mother, who's still alive, she's 96 now, but she lived with us for 14 years, Um, after Jonathan was born, he was our third, I had clinical postpartum depression. I was very sick with that and, um, had a hard time caring for my three little ones. My mom would come out from Victor, New York, which is kind of near, well, about three hours from where I live now to help with the kids. She's a widow and, um, she's a caregiver. She was a nurse and she loved her grandchildren. So she, and, uh, she ended up two months after she moved out to be with us. Well, we actually- Two months we put an addition on our home for her she was hit by a drunk driver and wow. um airlifted to albany Mad, nearly died and um actually roll switched i i'd become well it, with the help with some psychiatric medicine you know pharmaceuticals drugs and counseling and all that but anyways the role switcher i became her caregiver but jonathan being the baby was her like just loved him and he would be so good with her and put her earrings in and two of them are very close. So, um, yeah, we are very close family. And uh
3: Now, when I had talked Maybe not when I had talked to ahead. uh both of you before I know um Rich had mentioned that there was some um mental illness in the family.
0: Yeah, that's true, I think, on sides of our family. Uh, um I believe my father dealt with undiagnosed bipolar in some highs and through some lows. I don't think he was ever, you know, what you would consider clinical, but he definitely, you know, struggled with it. Um, My sister was 21 years old when she took her life. She had a one and a half or two year battle with depression. Uh, She was very reluctant to take any uh, medications for it and uh you know he fought a, a long battle there was a, a time where it seemed like she was getting better but i think she had kind of just you know come to her solution for it so 1970 she took her life and it's interesting in hindsight uh, i see a lot more similarities between johnny and my sister karen than i ever was aware of while he was still alive but uh, just two of them had some things in common they were, you know, very good artists. Uh, She pursued music, he pursued art, Uh, but he, John had a fondness for music. Um, They were both straight A students, very intelligent, very smart, uh, very caring people. And uh, they just, they had more in common than I realized until, you know, seeing it all in hindsight. And that side of the family. Mm
4: Yeah, I've dealt with clinical depression myself, but never with any suicidal thoughts or ideations, um, and have been successfully treated through pharmaceuticals and some holistic products. So it's, it seems to be something that runs the sides of our family.
0: Yeah, so yeah. for me, it's uh, living a, night, a nightmare 40 years old. Wow.
2: Yeah, it runs in my family too. My mother lives with schizoaffective disorder, she's attempted twice. Um, I have major depressive disorder. I was diagnosed bipolar two. I'm not on any medicine right now. Um, I'm I fight the good fight every day with the help of music and all kinds of different holistic approaches. Um, I've talked, I've tried to reach out to some nurse practitioners in the last couple of weeks, and nobody seems to returning phone calls these days. And it seems to be that the system is overwhelmed by people now with everything going on during this whole crazy 2020 that we've had this year.
3: Will's not going to give up. He's going to continue to, to, to try and get on some. I'm going to
2: continue to, I'm going to continue to walk the path of recovery because recovery to me is a fluid thing and recovery is different for everybody. There's no one, there's no one pill. There's no one path. There's no one anything. Um, And so you noticed it on in your family. Um, and your postpartum depression, and this postpartum depression was after was, was after Johnny's birth?
4: Yes. So I was um, 35 when I had John. Um, my other two at the time he was born, were seven and five. And um, David, our oldest, who was seven, he was born in, in May. Sarah was born in April. Johnny was born in September. And um, it comes to find out, I also have seasonal affective disorder. So the combination of um, my age, possibly being 35, hormonal hormones starting to change. um, And I was fatigued, adrenal fatigue, actually, because what happened was uh, I had a Sarah, who was a five-year-old coming home from school at 1130 with boundless energy after I'd been up most of the night with a newborn. And I wasn't getting my rest. I wasn't getting good sleep. I wasn't getting naps during the day. And because of the seasonal affective disorder that was diagnosed after I was almost hospitalized, um, it was a combination of things that snowballed on me. So I think, I know actually what it was, I wasn't getting good REM sleep. I was pushing and pushing, trying to take care of three young children, nurse a baby, hormones whacked out, seasonal affective disorder, no support, no help from family or friends because we had friends, but my family all lived far away and I just burned out and and I started having, well, he was born in September. So by November, the baby blues weren't lifting. By December, I was starting to have anxiety attacks and real depressive thoughts and, um, went to one doctor and they put me on Zoloft and then I had really scary things in my mind going on. And I did think suicide, but I didn't plan out anything, but I was like, I would rather be dead because this is awful. And the anxiety attacks were just awful. And so I just kept fighting. I just kept fighting and I kept, I knew it was, my body was exhausted. I knew it was, I was doing homework on you know, adrenal fatigue and we didn't have the internet back then. So, you know, I, I was getting that nutritional healing book. I went to the health food stores. I'm like, something's wrong. I was putting wild yam on me. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so finally I found a psychi- psychiatrist who um, prescribed me with um, two different drugs, butrin and Lexa uh, was, I can't remember now, Celexa, but anyways, it, by February I started feeling better. But in the meantime, we realized um, I got better in April, May, June, July, August, and then October started to slip again, even though I was on pharmaceuticals, you know, I was on medication and I was like, what is going on here? And that's when she diagnosed me with seasonal affective disorder. And I think everything just, I just got exhausted and I just, my brain chemicals and hormones just got way whacked out and I became really sick, but I fought through it and I came through it. And within five years, I was kind of pretty much back to myself, pretty much, <laughs>
3: So, now with, yeah. with, with Johnny, did you notice, I mean, maybe not at the time, but looking back now, did you notice any, anything as far as like with, uh, in the, in the like high school years or anything like that? Or was it more towards the college where you, um, started to maybe suspect some things or notice any, you know, maybe notice something
0: out of the ordinary. A couple of things we uh, could recognize in hindsight was Jen really had a heart for those kids that he thought were struggling. And uh, he would have kids over at our house that never got invited to anybody else's house. And we could just see him really, you know, have a soft place in his heart for them. I think maybe that was one of the ways he was coping with anything he felt. Uh, We also found in one of his journals, a poem that he wrote that he had never shared with us and you know he talked about like falling on people like falling on rain and uh, there were a few things in there that looked like he may have already started with a little bit of a battle so it was really interesting to look back and see that but most of his artwork most of his life was really upbeat Um, he had a super wonderful girlfriend all through high school they just really uh, bonded well together uh, really supported each other they both um, just excelled at their academics, um, so we didn't really notice it then. Um, and through his college years, uh, we really felt that you know anything that he was struggling with, he probably confided more in her because they had come uh, to be so close. So um, we really think that there were some indicators there that we missed in his college years. That in hindsight, we think we should have picked up on quicker.
4: Yeah, but he was functioning so well. I mean, he was getting nineties A's. He academically was thriving. Um, do you he think was, he poured
2: himself? Do you think he poured himself into that because it it fed him what he needed at the time?
4: Um, he was passionate about what he was doing, and he loved what he was doing, and I think it energized him. Um, he was going to school, College for Creative Studies in Detroit for transportation design. It's a pretty prestigious college, it's hard to get into. Kids from all over the world are there. And he was, um, his portfolio, his drawing, his artwork. Yeah, you saw his I artwork. was actually,
3: yeah, I was fortunate enough to see his uh artwork, and it's <laughs> it's definitely like
4: it's at a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean,
3: he was, he, I
4: bragged so, on him, my son, but.
3: No. as but you- a
4: sophomore he was being honored in industry what's called industry day this happened a week before he died and it's usually juniors and seniors but they chose five sophomores that year to um present their portfolio their work their drawings to industry um you know companies like ford motor company and people like that and uh it, and it was just amazing and and i'd flown out there on a on a monday night um the end of his sophomore year and um, to be there to support him and to help pack him up and bring him home. And that Tuesday, that next day, Tuesday, after he did his presentations and everything, he brought me up to see his, his um, what do you call that? display board and his work and everything. And I met some of his professors and they were saying, oh, you have raised such a fine young man here. I can tell he comes from an awesome family and because his manners and all his professors, everyone was just like, John's got such potential. He is just going places. And, and it was just the praise, the praise, the praise. And and I was just like this proud little peacock mom. And, and uh, yeah, it's just so strange. And then that wednesday car ride home is when he started sharing me with me all of his anxieties and and a lot of different intense things and it was several days later that he ended up taking his life so um, Uh, after we got home
2: out of just out of curiosity did he express any sort of um off-putting with all the praise that he received do you think that the praise that he received may have may have maybe not set right with him, that he had feelings inside internally that just didn't correlate with that praise?
0: No, we, we think he really enjoyed his work. He really enjoyed sharing it. Um, also, when some of the other students might uh, run into a hard spot or need an idea, Jan was their go-to person. So he's really there helping others and enjoying the work. The thing that was really uh, puzzling for us as he became noticeably you know, struggling with his mental health was he would talk about how much shame he felt. And that was really new. We'd never heard him, you know, talk in that fashion before, but he really had a very, very big sense of shame. Uh, Debbie and I have studied a lot on the Enneagram. We would say he's a a three wing four or a four wing three. We're not sure which, Um, but their, you know, their root issue is shame. And he was really, that was really a big issue for him and it wasn't over the quality of his work. It was just that he didn't feel like he was good enough.
2: Right. And that's what I meant by the praise part of it. Cause, and I, I, I suffer with that myself. And I also know that super creative people suffer, live with a lot of that themselves because that's what drives the art. And that's what drives um, the willingness to share yourself because that. Because you constantly, you're constantly trying to refill your, you're trying to constantly dumb, not dumb down, that's not the right phrase, but you're trying to constantly hold down this shame that you feel, even though you can't necessarily pick out what it is you're shameful about or shameful for. But it, it, what happens is, is that that creative passion fuels that and you, and you just need to create something, or you even need to just, just you just need to put something down.
3: Mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. and it's,
2: I, I and shame is a very deep thing because we can feel shame mm-hmm. for the slightest things that we don't even know have made an imprint on our hard drives from an early age, and it, it can be something from you know preschool that somebody you know a teacher unknowingly or miscommunicates, you know, that you do something wrong and you could spend the rest of your life trying to catch up with that and trying to
1: put that behind you. One of the things
3: actually will, uh, is, you know, that you, that you touched on the creative and, and they have said it too. And, you know, he wasn't, I mean, I, obviously the creative part goes with, with being an artist, but he had these, um, he would he would come up with these ideas and concepts for cars and like like I I can't even do it justice but they were showing me these pictures and it was just like like I'm blown away not only by the the drawings but by the concepts and this creativity that he had that went into it it was like intense it was yeah it was really (laughs) intense yeah
1: wow
4: i I personally feel what happened to John was, it was like the perfect storm. Combination of his personality, combination of his passion and his drive to achieve and to be recognized for his achievements. But I think he got tired and I think he got, I know he got sick because he was an open person. He would share with us. We are close knit family there was no traumatic event or anything that happened that we're aware of in college anyways. But I think he started his, his he got through his freshman year. Well, he was still exercising regularly, getting, he says, mom, I'm not going to be like so many of the art and design students that stay up all hours. I know my body can't do that. I know I need to eat right. He was trying to be a vegetarian, kind of a vegan in college. He and his girlfriend were into that. He was, he used to lift weights and work out. They used to make these healthy shakes. He concentrate. He was very conscious about his sleep Blah blah blah. But I think his sophomore year, the workload got more intense and he had to spend more time designing and drawing. And I think he started staying up later and then his healthy habits started, got on the back burner. So he wasn't getting as much sleep. He wasn't getting as good nutrition. I'm, I love the college, but they didn't have a good um, meal program, they didn't have any meal program. And so I know he was just hit and miss with his diet. And I think kind of like me when the postpartum and then obviously there's a predisposition towards, cause we have it in our family mental, sure. you know, yep. clinical depression. So you could, and and we've had counselors and medical professionals tell us that you could put the same to Johnny, you could put a Johnny. that doesn't have the background in the family history, In the same program, the same skills and put a Jonathan with it in our genetic predisposition. And one person is going to go that route of suicide and become mental, you know, have suicide. And one person will just get stressed out, may lose some weight, may get like whatever, but come home, rest up for the summer, rebuild and go back. But I think everything came and it just, he got sick. And I believe he went into a psychosis, a psychotic state. And I don't believe he planned it. I don't believe he wanted to die. I believe it was impulsive and it it was a tragedy, a true tragedy. And we had no time, literally, I had no time to get him help. We knew the night before he died that he was at a critical stage because he had harmed himself at home. But we had asked him, are you thinking about committing suicide? I said, mom needs to know. You need to tell me because I've been asked that every time I've had episodes of my depression. The first thing, are you suicidal? We have to. So I said, he goes, no, mom. No, mom. I'm like, okay. So I thought the hurting was more like a cutting thing where you, you know, get an adrenaline rush and it kind of like, because I've known people we, that have done that. And so I thought, okay. So we got, and it was Mother's Day when this all happened. Um, so the next day was Monday, and his his older brother and um, David and his wife, Becca, had stayed up with him most of the night. And I thought maybe brother talk would be healthy and he'd get some stuff out with David. And I woke up Monday morning. And Rich had gone to work. David and Becca had left. They had spent the night, had left. And it was just Johnny and I. And he was dressed for work. And I said, because he worked at a hotel where he did outside groundskeeping. And he'd been doing it since he was 13. And he said his best friend was going to be also working with him again this summer. But he was kind of like, yeah, he's going to be working with me again. I'm like, that's great, John. So that Monday morning, we woke up. And I saw he was dressed. I thought, well, maybe he and his brother had a good talk. And I thought he'll be safe at work because he'll be with his best friend. He'll be in an environment that he's been used to doing and being in for years. And that gave me time to start making phone calls and to get my ducks in a row. I'm a realtor. So I, you know, I made sure I had everything taken care of. I had no appointments for the next couple of days. And I made an appointment with a psychiatrist that would squeeze us in later in that day and earlier evening. And I told John that I'd come check on him at lunchtime and, um, I texted him during the morning. How are you doing? I'm in the dining room. I'm cleaning da da, da 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 And then, um, I was on my way to take him lunch and I text him one more time. Sorry, I'm running late. I'm coming with your lunch. And on my way to take him his lunch, I got a call from my daughter-in-law. And she said, where are you? And I said, I'm on my way to go meet John and take him his lunch. And she goes, they found him. They found him in the shed. And that's all she said. And once I got there, um, I saw the police and I saw everybody and and I figured he had harmed himself, but I didn't know he had taken his life at that point. But, um, I did find out soon later when they said I had to get to the hospital right away and I didn't have to hurry, but I should get there. And I was like, (sighs) so yeah. So I lost him the day after mother's day and, and I'd never got him a diagnosed. We never got him diagnosed. We never, it just, it happened so fast. Yeah. in less than a week's time from learning in the car ride on Wednesday home that he was struggling with a lot of anxiety. He was ashamed of things he had done in college. And there are common things like drink too much beer and smoke some marijuana and stuff like that to it escalating to the point where on Monday morning, he, yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's really, really, really hard. And it's very frustrating because we would have fought for him. We would have fought
3: and i, I think i think you did i think you both did i think you did you know in 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 a in, in in a different way you know what i mean you guys from what i understand the story and from what i know uh of both of you you know i get that you guys are a close-knit family even without him there i can see it you know and you know it, it's it's always that you know what if kind of thing that you know that is probably going on constantly in both of your heads you know mm. but um you know from what I understand of the story and and, and from what I know of you to both uh you know you did you know you guys did you 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 were open famine you you know you asked the questions that you know
2: you asked all the right questions
3: yeah and that's why
2: I, I, and that's I, and and I will say this um, what I've learned from my time at AFSP and learned about suicide and, and from my own experiences and from friends' losses and stuff, I, and I, I agree with the impulsion part of it, because I do think that there are times when people do get into mindset to complete. However, mm-hmm. I do also think that there's a time where some people um, can't get out of it. Like it, it becomes it. It becomes this. It, it just happens so fast that mm-hmm. it it's it's almost, it, not accidental, but almost, mm-hmm. but but not not meant to be, right? As far as as that goes, yeah. I think I commend I, you, I commend you both very much for being open about this and talking about this because there's a lot of parents out there who've had the same experience that you've had. And a lot of people don't have the openness to talk about it, but the only way that we can help other people is by talking
0: about it. Absolutely. That's been one of our biggest prayers is we would like to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health, make it okay to be part of the conversation.
2: Absolutely, it should be a part of the everyday conversation. Yeah
3: that's, that's, that's the reason why we do this. And that's why I, I really wanted to get both of you on to, to, to talk this out and, you know, tell your story because like, as Will said, you know, I, people, people need to hear this stuff. It's, it's the hard stuff that we, the hard conversations that we avoid, you know, these are the things that we need to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There's no skeletons that need to be left in the closet these days because transparency has become, I I, I mean, transparency is, is a new currency these days in a lot of circles, but I think there's been so much stigma and and we're taught and and so many, I mean, I'm, I was born in 1972. Um, The stigma has been there forever. Like it was always, it was never talked about in my family. I mean, I was, I had a different experience because by the time I was five, my mother had already had her first hospitalization and I was already well on the way of understanding what was going on. Um, and it, it really did shape, a, has shaped my life in a way that I didn't really want to take on until much later, until I had my own crisis myself and realized that, That after I survived my crisis, that I have a mandate put on my birth certificate to help someone else, and Mm -hmm. so many, and so many of us are just wounded warriors in a way because that's we come to this because we feel that we have to help somebody.
4: Amen. Yep. And we have to remember something very important: the brain is an organ
2: that can get sick absolutely and it's and we don't scan it we don't look at it and again when you're throwing medicine and look the modern medicine is a wonderful thing however when you're yep. throwing t- cocktails at it and yes. go through med changes some people go through med changes every 6 months and you don't know really how you're going to react to it until you've been on it a while and granted look as somebody who's not on medicine there's probably days where it would be easier just to take a pill and let it do mm-hmm. what it's going to do. But I also see the other side of what years of medicine has done to, to like my yeah. mother, ben, who's been on psychiatric medicine for the better part of 45 years. And it's, it's, it's tough. Cause right. The pros and cons. You know? Right. Right. And that's why you try to make yeah. the best decision. I've been,
4: doing ton, I've been doing a ton of homework and research. It's been very therapeutic for me like Rich said, we're into the Enneagram personality Yeah, and I'm a seven and, uh, I go to the high side of five, it's called the investigator. So I have to investigate. And, um, so reading, 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 and, um, some of the good research and homework that I found is like Dr. Amen. If you've heard of him, right, um, of he does what's called a spec scan, SPECT. Yes. Yep. Because he believes in the same thing, you know, the brain gets sick. we got to figure out what part of the brain is sick, you know. Was it a head trauma? You know, sometimes somebody, a little child, may have fell when they are five years old off their bike and had some sort of a head trauma. And now in their teenage years, they're bipolar or they're this yes. or that. Or there could be a tumor or pushing on something or there's just so many Everything is interconnected, too. Everything is interconnected. And, you know, and so... I really believe, you know, we got to tra- treat the mind, body, soul, and spirit. And that's, that's a tricky balance. But I believe that the more we talk about this and share our experiences, we can help people because it could be as simple as, I don't know, they're th- vitamin deficient or something. It's true. <laughs> no, no you're, you're, absolutely, you're, you're, absolutely, right. you're absolutely right. You know what I mean? No, you're
3: absolutely right.
4: But if we don't talk about and- it, I mean, if you had diabetes or a heart condition or, you know, gastrointestinal or whatever, you get X-rays and do it and you try this and you try the holistic and blah, blah. You know, it's like, you gotta, the brain's, yeah, I know it controls everything. And it can be kind of freaky once someone's not in their right mind, but at the same time, someone's not feeling good because they have cancer. They're not going to be in the right mind either. That's going right. to cause you to be, so let's, let's figure out the root and get Absolutely. to
2: the root and and as best as we can, you know? And it all comes down to, and Daniel, Dr. Daniel Amon is one of our big, big things here because change your brain, change your life. Okay. Okay. um, Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I love him. love him.
2: Yes. And uh, his wife's story is incredible too. I, I, we listened, I listened to the podcast quite a bit, Um, but I do, uh, Tim and I have talked about this before. We don't, we have, you know, we go to the doctors, we can get x-rays anytime we want, but you can't get the scan of your brain to say what part is functioning and and what part because they made it so difficult. Like we and I think that that goes into this whole um, this whole gumbo of of how we've minimized mental health for so long because you know it's a weakness. Like it's looked as a weakness. It's looked upon, and that's not really at all what it, it's about. But that's what. That's what so much of it has been, and and if you go through your, I mean, if you have a good insurance company, yes, in good insurance companies have have behavioral health stuff built in. But in the 1970s, nobody wanted to talk about. It. You you talked about going to a psychiatrist. People automatically pigeonholed you and into one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, I, and I, that
4: probably. Got I'm you sorry, I, Richard's sister. Richard's sister was sick back what forty years ago. 1979. Yeah, it was totally. Yeah, you're right. It was. They didn't have. They had the knowledge that we have today either. So, now come a long way.
3: After after Johnny, did you guys experience anything with, um, like you know, friends or you know, family maybe that 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 did fall into that whole stigma categorization and and maybe kind of look at you guys differently or treat you any differently?
0: I think probably the biggest thing on that is we were so open initially with it. Um, our church family supported us so strongly. The, uh, the Our pastors openly talked about mental health, his own struggles with it over the years. And uh, just the way he opened the doors of the church, we had over 600 people at the calling hours. Everyone, We, we were all in a state of shock just crying on each other's shoulders. And I think they they carried through. I don't think there was any blame ever put on us. There was just a, a huge amount of sadness. And I think most people really appreciate that we are open because they don't feel uncomfortable talking about it with us. Cool. As time goes on, it is interesting though, because some people will think, well, you're over it now. And they don't, as you know, Mike said early on in, in our discussion here. Is you're never really over it. We're going through it, but you know, I don't see a day in the future where I'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm over this crisis." You know, it, yeah. it's something we'll always carry. Um,
2: and
4: it's almost like John's pain is gone, but it's on all of us now. If that makes any sense.
2: Well, I was going to just ask you if, um, if if you if you've If you've discovered which, um, which part of grief that you're both upon yet, have you, have you like been through some of the stages of grief? Are you, are you in one stage of grief as opposed to the other?
0: Initially your, your brain is really protected from the trauma just through shock. So in the first weeks or months, you you are just literally going day to day you really are you know you know your the grief is overwhelming but you're you're just your brain is just working through what you know what you can do with what's right in front of you i found as time goes on some of it's harder because you don't have the benefit of shock so there'll be triggers I mean, all you have to do is look at a fancy sports car and it reminds us of our son just so many triggers. Or so you'll see a, a handsome young couple. You know, a guy's got his you know blonde hair all combed back with a pretty girlfriend, and it's like, yep, that you know that should be our John still. So you'll see things like that that are that are triggers, and that they'll catch you unawares. Um, you know, it's a little fewer and farther between than when it first happened, but but those are still there. Um, our, our faith is so strong. We've never really reached out in strong anger at God. You know, we ask the why question on a daily basis, but we've never had a real strong anger there. Cause we know that God is a loving God. So
4: yeah. Um, we've been in grief counseling and we continue to be in grief counseling. Um, so we've gone through all the different stages of grief, but like what we're learning through our grief counseling is that, um, you, it, it, you go in and out of them and there's no order like no there's you know, no okay order. Did, okay okay did the denial thing okay check okay hmm. did the uh you know um negotiating you yep. know what's that, all that bargaining.
2: bargaining bargaining okay yep.
4: boom did that for a little bit okay all right now anger oh, i didn't do a lot of anger it's not really my personality i'm not angry at god was angry at johnny he's gonna get a huge spanking <laughs> 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 when i see him in heaven. And I spoke at his memorial service. I was like, you are going to get the big spanking and then I'm going to give you a huge hug Um, (laughs) that he didn't have time to give him help and ask for help. So hear that everyone give your loved ones time to help you. Um, and then, you know, my biggest struggle has been, um, the depression, like there's a difference between grief, depression and clinical depression. And, um, grieving it is exhausting it is just like the pressure in your chest the lack of energy and inability to concentrate the first six months I was working and I believe Rich was too just on um, sheer adrenaline and shock and we were told by our counselor that after the six month mark often it's harder because you don't have those protective chemicals or whatever in that our body gives us, um, to protect us when such trauma comes into our lives. And then the work really started. Yeah. We reality,
2: start. reality seems to set in at, at, yeah. at that certain point And that reality of waking up every day and having to face this as the parents losing a child.
4: Yeah. And I'll go, I'll be fine for a while. And then I won't be fine. And it's triggers, you know, and it's just, we miss them. We miss them so much. We just miss them. Yeah. It's been hard this weekend, this last couple of days here, because, I don't know, I guess it's because we're getting close to the holidays, and we're trying to plan for the holidays, and it's like, ugh. And, you know, like a lot of our friends, he'd be a senior right now. We'd be thinking about him graduating after this year, and it's just its
3: really Is sad. This- is this the second um, second set of holidays, like yeah. the second second year? I should say.
4: Yeah, he died May thirteenth, two thousand nineteen. So it's been what a year and a half.
0: Yeah, and the holidays are just as hard for the second year as they are the first for us.
4: Yeah,
2: they might be hard for the next twenty.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, well, and,
2: and just because that you're always going to miss that chair being filled.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and as a mom, I'm just, you know, like, I just wanted to fight for him, And I'm just sad I didn't have the chance. Yeah. You know?
0: There was something else from all our reading I wanted to share. Um, when people struggle with mental health and they finally decide to reach out for help, very often uh, the church will be the first place they go to. And our churches today are very poorly equipped to handle it. Um, so, you know, the more the pastors are open about it, the more they're willing to, you know, work with people and be able to make good referrals is very, very important. Like I said, our our church just embraced us. We couldn't ask for anything more from our pastor and his staff for how they helped us enroll. Just, you know, set aside everything, all their agenda and plans and schedules to take care of us. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> But there is, there's just a huge need out there and people are most likely to go to the church. So uh, I've been studying and uh, becoming a mental health coach. And I just think the more people that do that, that are willing to step in and just, you know, make that bridge between where people's needs are. And then you think of the psychiatrist as the emergency room, you know, people are sitting there, you know, they're, they're putting on taking care of themselves. And then all of a sudden they're in the equivalent of the emergency room for mental health there's really so much uh, in the middle there that needs to be filled in with mental health coaches and, and psychologists and just you know support groups you know and i really think the church could do a lot more than it's equipped to do today
2: i don't think any of our institutions truly outside of health certain health institutions are equipped to handle mental health you can see it clearly in law enforcement a lot of them don't know how to handle someone who's mentally ill on the street. A lot of things go bad in, in, in very bad ways. Um, and truthfully, when you said about a bridge, that's kind of why Tim and I started doing this. And I actually just finished my peer certificate for the state of New York. So I have my provisional peer certificate now and Tim and I are co-facilitating a peer group and we're gonna co-facilitate and facilitate other peer groups throughout the area as we can find spots Now a lot. Now, do you think that? I and I and I I will agree with you. I am not a, I'm not a religious person. Uh, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. But I do agree that a lot of people will turn to their, to their church if they are church going people. Do you think that that's? Do you think that that is a good way to go, for a lot of people, or do you think that that is? That or do you, or maybe is it, is it the? I, I don't know what I'm trying to ask. I, I just, I'm wondering so if,
0: so what I is that I think if someone is raised in a church and that's a comfortable setting for them to go, that's a great place to start. But if they find their church isn't equipped to handle it, don't stop there. You know, continue right, seeking okay. help. You know,
2: that's great. That's a great but point.
0: A lot of churches aren't equipped to handle it, you know, they, they don't. They don't have a pastor that's experienced or is open talking about it, or, or they don't have the, the referrals to be able to do. So, you know, certainly don't, you know, please go and try there. But if if that's not working, continue, you know, pursuing what's going to work for you.
2: Absolutely. And I think if if you have someone and we talk about struggle buddies here on the podcast all the time and, and Tim and I are. Tim and I are each other's struggle buddy like he'll reach out to me if he's got something heavy or I'll reach out to him if we're having hard days or whatever. I think that if you can have that, that is one of the biggest bridges that you can have is just to have one person that you can at least talk to and 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 share those things with. And I mm-hmm. and I I again and I I can't say this enough that I commend you so much for being open about this and talking about this because you are in a, in a group of people that so many people don't aren't comfortable enough talking about it and normalizing stuff that even though we think, even though so many people think this is not normal, this is normal for us because we, we, we live with these things every day. And to us, normal Mm -hmm. is having a mental illness is, is having mental health challenges to us.
4: It's very, um, therapeutic for rich and i i think to help and to be saying okay how can we turn good something good out of this can we say my goal if i can save one life but i want to say more than that um i'm doing this for john too you know i'm, I'm like john i know you didn't plan on getting sick you didn't want to be sick you got sick i know you didn't want to die I'll never understand exactly how it got to the point that it got to with you. I don't think I ever will, but please know that mom and dad are fighting for you. And I'm fighting now for all the people you'd fight for. If you had survived and gotten the help and gotten to a point where you could be of
2: service to others,
4: I know you would have done it. So we're going to do it for you.
2: Doing it for Johnny. Yep.
3: I like that's great. It. I mean, that's that's, you know, at this point, that's 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 what it's about, you know, and that's why we wanted to have you on, because we believe that, you know, hearing stories like yours can truly help somebody else, whether it's whether it's it's a family that's coping, whether it's a best friend that's, um, you know, coping or maybe a brother that lost somebody some, you know, somewhere in that circle, you know. Is 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 gonna benefit from this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that would just bring me such joy to know that I'm someone was blessed. I'm telling you now, it, it definitely will. I'm I'm telling you. Yeah,
2: yeah we we have issue. evidence. We have evidence that it will. <laughs> yeah. We have evidence that these conversations do help people. Um and in in my experience of the last few years, the uh, the mental health um circle has been amazing has been amazing to both tim and i and um and it's it's incredible that if you're willing to be vulnerable enough with people that it can open so
1: many doors that you had no idea were even there to open
2: we always finish up the podcast with three questions and the first and third question are semi are serious and then there's a question in the middle That's uh, not so serious, just to lighten things up a little bit. So I'm going to let Tim ask the first
3: question. Um, This can go for both of you. You can choose if you both want to answer or one each, whatever you want to do. But um, do you have a favorite
0: or a least favorite word?
4: Fun is my favorite word. I like to have fun.
3: Okay.
0: Mine would would come from the, uh, the Book of Mark, and it's immediate. So, Christ did many things while I walked on the earth, and many of them were immediate. Okay. So, the time is.
4: And oh, wow. I'll have fun immediately.
3: <laughs> Whenever I can. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, we're supposed to say that word a lot,
3: right? No, no, absolutely. No, no, that's. I'm not
4: good being serious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's great. What about a least favorite word for each of you? Uh, so the next, do you have a
3: least favorite, do
2: You have a least favorite word. Seven, pain.
4: Enneagram sevens, basic, what is it? My major fear, my basic fear, my whatever is a seven, is pain and being trapped in pain. And this has been a trial. None other in pain. I don't like pain.
0: So as an Enneagram nine, my uh, underlying current is always anger. So my least favorite word would be anger. Okay. And uh, I will try and suppress it, but it'll slip out sideways. So
4: and hit me My sometimes. Word would be
0: anger, <laughs> even though you would. If you met me, you would say, "Rich, I've never seen you." It's always there under, under the, the
4: surface. surface.
2: Wow, you've gotten good at controlling it. That's amazing. So the next question is, and I could already probably, I might be able to pick out this answer already from our introduction to your dog earlier. But dog, cat, or other
0: dogs?
4: Dog. <laughs> our golden retriever yep. he's yeah. actually john's dog
0: ah, we've now really?
4: adopted. yeah yeah so it's another reminder of john
0: yeah his big brother and sister went off to college and he's like can i have a golden retriever and we caved in so and then he left her with us
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well but
0: she's it, a great reminder
2: that's awesome good. that is so awesome
3: now if no restraints um, nothing holding you back. What would you do for mental health as a whole? Like, what, what, what do you think could be done, in your opinion? Like, what would you like to see done, mental health wise?
0: So, for me, as I mentioned, pursuing mental health coaching, I'd just like to be able to connect people to what they need. If it's, uh, you know, as they come to our church, you know, connect them to a support group, uh, to be able to meet. Uh, the different mental health services in our area we live in the Saratoga New York area Uh, would like to be able to connect them with uh, the resources that they need I'd really like to be able to if uh, people make me aware that they have that I can actually do something to help them
4: yeah and I'm encourager. I like to encourage people so I would be involved in anything and everything and that I could to just keep speaking and speaking and sharing and encouraging and helping and Directing and and I'm I'm a big um, mind soul body spirit person so I believe that I would love to be some sort of like a coach maybe um, helping people with their diet and exercise because I think it all works together holistic I I'd like to be involved holistically in helping people be
3: well. It definitely works all together for sure. There's no question exercise, there.
4: Exercise, you know, helping people maybe a mental health coach in the sense of my, helping them create something specific for them, Make, if they're not exercising, an exercise plan, if they're not eating right or taking nutritional sure. supplements, all of that. That's what I'd like to do. I,
3: I, I actually have one more quick question um, For for both of you. If there is something that you could say to other parents, other family members, friends, brothers, sisters that have lost, what would you like to say?
4: Don't blame yourself. You're going to, you're going to do it every day, but that's going to prevent you from healing. And your loved one that's deceased would not want you to do that. They made the decision. Ultimately, John made the decision. Um, it was his choice. And. Uh, just, you've got to love yourself and forgive yourself to truly be healed, to be whole. You'll never be healed, but to be whole, and to be as well as possible, and take care of yourself because your other loved ones need you. We made a commitment after John died that we were going to make sure that we weren't the one one of two that divorce after commit suicide. That we were going to stay together in our marriage, and that we were going to. Um, just be as strong and work on being as healthy as you can. For our, we have surviving children and grandchildren that want us to be well. So take care of yourself.
0: And I've said that's while well, I'm having trouble getting to it. Um, but the thing I would like to share is this is, this is this is hard for me to say, but there is so much loss that occurs in life that you just need to be able to find what keeps you going so need to be able to find a bright spot in the future you need to find something that you put your home to and uh the important thing deb said is only the other survivors you know it's really time to rally together and uh and and get yourself as strong as possible and and to find hope
2: that's what we do here at above ground podcast we try to find hope we try to spread a little hope thank you so much for sharing your story and everything um we're gonna close up the podcast, but I was hoping that maybe you guys could hang on for okay. a few minutes before. I'm gonna go after- get
4: a little latte. I'll be right back.
2: Okay, thanks. So, thank you very much, both Debbie and Rich Strait for being here this evening. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much to but say. But the,
3: these are yeah these are these are conversations that um, you know are, are are needed to be had are, are needed to be heard. You know, I think they—they um, they there was some great stuff in there for sure, and they both had um, great input. Absolutely.
2: So until next week, be well.
3: Be safe. Be above. Above.